Welcome to the Limited Slip Podcast, your week's automotive news in 20 minutes. We compress all the news in the auto, motorcycle, and racing worlds for you into our 20-minute podcast. Your hosts are me, Dave, an attorney and car importer, and Borja, the mechanic extraordinaire. This is Dave and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This episode of the Limited Slip Podcast is brought to you by Retromobile Designs. If you are looking for auto and racing themed t-shirts that look cool to the average show, but get an approving nod from other gearheads, check them out at RetromobileDesigns.com. That's RetromobileDesigns.com. So that's the first version. The second version is pure electric. It'll have the same battery size and we're not sure on the cost yet of those. And, and they actually haven't even released if those are going to be North America models, although general idea is that they will be. Now, the one that we do have guaranteed for the U.S. is a two liter Skyactiv mild hybrid version. Either way you cut it, this is an interesting car for Mazda. It's their first electric car. It's going to be also their first uh, hybrid car available in the United States. Now the, the US version that we have this two liter Skyactiv version is going to be around $35,000. We don't have any estimate on the price for the electric version yet. Um, I wish them the very best with the rotary engine. Uh, it is known from previous models that it's not the most reliable. Well, needless well, to say that in this day and age, it's very interesting that they decided to even consider bringing the rotary back. I think it makes a lot more sense for a, as, as a range extender. They have teased in the past this RX Vision concept of uh, for quite a while, actually in 2012, they developed a concept car based on, on the same concept. And I, and I think that it makes a lot more sense as a range extender with a rotary engine because rotary engine is really, really compact, you know, like an RX-7 or an RX-8 replacement, something really sporty. I think they're thinking a a price range and a performance envelope higher than the RX-7, but it's going to be kind of a lightweight electric sports car with a range extender. That's kind of what they've teased in the past. Also, interestingly, they've they've teased this idea of a range extender in a range extender application. You can make these things really, really small. I mean, we're talking like lawnmower engine size small. And, and you can get good power out of them. And also because it's an electric or a, you know, plug in hybrid or it's, it's tiny, it weighs very little. And as far as emissions classifications goes, which is one of the main weaknesses for a rotary engine, you're not, that's not really a concern. So I think it makes, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. You're right. Reliability wise, like, you know, you have a rotary, you have to replace the apex seals, replacing the apex seals is you know, an engine out thing. So <clears throat> some very interesting things about this new uh, club sport, finely tuned version of the, the regular GTI. Does it reduce weight, but it does revise the suspension. Um, it's 150 kilograms more than the last uh, seventh gen, uh, gen club sport. The numbers are actually quite interesting. They've already taken it around the famous Nürburgring in Germany and it did a seven minutes, 54 seconds, which is 13 seconds faster than the GTI, you know, 11 seconds slower than the Type R. The Club Sport has always been a, a card that sells because it's really, honestly, if you don't want to get into the Golf R territory, the Club Sport is the GTI that you really want. 
I, I think they've really changed what the club sport is over over the last one because the last one really was this lightweight track weapon. Yep. And this new one is kind of just GTI plus. They don't really make any attempt at reducing weight, which was why the last club sport was faster. It is still slower than the Civic Type R. I wasn't expecting. Compared to the Civic Type R, uh, the Civic Type R did it in seven minutes, 43 seconds. So, um, but the other one that they uh, tease is the Golf R, the big boy when it comes to the Golf. The all-wheel drive, the most powerful uh, version of the Golf that you can get from factory. Uh, We don't know uh, any details of it yet, besides that it'll probably have the same 316 two-liter turbo engine that the Ayrton R has, which to me, if that's the case, and it has around 316 horsepower, I'll be honest, it's going to be a bit of a disappointment. Um, And I'm hoping that it does have a bit more power on the 8th gen than what we've seen in both the 6th and the 7th gen. Um, because if not, I think the Golf R, it's not going to be a compelling option for many, even though it's going to be very easy to tune uh, and get a lot more horsepower for little money. But still, it's nice that you can get more horsepower with little money, but you just want more from the factory. The idea is that they're going to use the same engine that's in the Arteon R, which is their kind of uh, sporty, sporty sedan. Yeah. You know, they call it a coupe, but it's a sedan. Although Audi does have a 400 horsepower two liter inline four that they could, you know, presumably just stick in the, the Golf R, but I think that they're trying to save that engine for Audi. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say I I didn't realize that Volkswagen made an Arteon uh, shooting brake in Europe. And I was kind of looking at this story and and I realized that they do and they have like that's that's an awesome car. An Arteon R shooting brake, man, that that's really cool. You know, as always, the Germans keeping the great ones over in Europe and not bringing it to the states. Some news out of Honda. It seems like they are going to take out the manual transmission from the Honda Civic sedan. So this this is interesting. So it'll still be available in the hatchback as well as the the Type R and the SI. But as far as the base Civic, not on the base Civic hatch, nor on the Civic sedan anymore. They're only going to have the CVT option in that, which is, in my mind, extremely disappointing. I, I really don't like CVTs. I think that this is interesting because it signals this kind of continued march of the manual transmission towards being a niche choice where, mm-hmm. you know, I only it's only available in these sporty models. The Civic was kind of the last stand of the base car with the manual transmission in the United States. There's there's still a couple options, but that's really the main mainstream choice for a manual transmission in a base car. So that's sad to see that go. Also, we have the Mini Countryman. Their production is is moving. So they're currently made by a production called NDL Nedcar in the Netherlands. They make a couple different models for a couple different manufacturers. BMW has decided to move the production in-house. They don't say which plant. So I guess theoretically it could be in Germany, but my speculation is that they're moving it to BMW's plant in England. They have a, a, a factory in Oxford. I think that they're going to call it more British. I think that they're going to make a move to say this is, this is a, a more British car. 
Yeah, and uh, also part of the reason for this too is the COVID-19 virus um, that they decided also to make this change. But, um, you know, if they do end up moving it over to the UK, um, regardless, I think, it, at least from a PR standpoint, I think it's going to work very nicely. Before we get to the rest of the show, take a moment to subscribe. If you enjoy our insights and want to help keep our lights on, you can visit our businesses. Borja runs a full-service auto repair shop in Orem, Utah. You can find him on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah. And trust me, he really can't fix anything. I import cars from South America and Europe, primarily classic trucks like FJ40s and Land Rovers, but I can help you source any classic car in any condition that you want, from cars that were never sold in the U.S., to trucks that are just cheaper with less rust overseas. Visit me at DaveTheCarImporter.com. There's no reason for you to not have the car of your dreams, even if it is forbidden fruit. Well, I wanted to have a couple updates on some stuff that we talked about last week. So first off is with Honda and Red Bull. So last in our last episode, we talked about Honda leaving Formula One and as an engine manufacturer and, and what that means for Red Bull, we have a little bit of an update on that. We uh, certainly do. And it's actually a surprising update because neither of us uh, ever considered this as an option, which is R- Red Bull is considering uh, buying Honda, uh, at least their, their engines, and continue with them and make it now an in-house engine. They're thinking about purchasing all of the IP and the operations from Honda's Formula One engine manufacturing and to develop their own engine for the new set of rules. But they, yep. they say specifically, there's a Helmut Marco, the, the boss of Red Bull Formula One. He came out and he said, look, we're thinking about this, but we're only going to do it if the FIA agrees to a complete development freeze at the start of the 2020, uh, sorry, excuse me, the 2022 season. That's interesting. And basically he's saying we can't afford or we don't want to spend the money on continuing to develop the engine after that. So that's, that's basically our thing. And he's coming out with that publicly because he wants the FIA to agree with him. I, this is a really interesting development. Like you said, neither of us really anticipated this. We kind of thought they would get, you know, Porsche or someone to do it. And maybe that's still in the cards. Maybe they can go and get a third party manufacturer to, to go in on this with them and to partner with them. It makes a lot of sense, actually. It really does. And it does for the same reasons that we spoke last week. I mean, Mercedes is not going to give them an engine. Ferrari is not going to give them an engine. Renault may give them an engine, but the relationship is not the best. Um, So they either buy this from Honda or some miracle happens with either Mercedes, uh, Ferrari or Renault, or there's a fourth manufacturer that comes into it. Um, but yeah. needless to say that their options are very, very limited and they, it, it does make sense that they're trying to, to see everything. What else can we do? What are really all of our options as crazy or far-fetched as they may seem? What do we have on the table? Um, yeah. I, I think it's important for listeners to understand that, that Ferrari will not sell them an engine because for, for competitive reasons, they don't, Ferrari does not want Red Bull to have a Ferrari engine. I think there's also a marketing aspect to that. Mercedes-Benz is similar. Mercedes is is happy to sell their engines to other competitive teams because they feel like their their complete package is always going to be better. However, Mercedes has an entirely different aerodynamic concept than Red Bull does. 
and the engine is you know is a part of that the engine in formula one cars like most bespoke race cars is it's a stressed member of the of the chassis and red bull has basically said that they would have to end up modifying their chassis to use a mercedes or a renault engine and they don't want to do that the other thing from last week that we wanted to talk about was McLaren's 570 replacement. We, we mentioned that they're making their new vehicle architecture, their new powertrain architecture. And uh, the next day, McLaren came out with images of this 570 replacement. And we wanted to make sure that you guys were aware of that. It, it's, it is going to be a different design philosophy as far as the styling goes. They also mentioned that this 570 replacement is going to have about 550 horsepower it's going to have a small V6 with hybrid power. I think that one of the main reasons that they're doing that is actually for the tax benefits in certain markets. And in Asia, for example, they're, most of the countries tax, they tax the vehicles based on the engine size. Italy used to do this too. And so there's a big benefit for, for them to have a smaller engine. And one more thing when it comes to quick news, uh, 2021 Audi R8 but this one with only a being rear wheel drive. Um, and of course that comes with lower power and a lower price tag. So the rear wheel drive will have a detuned engine. It'll go down from 602 horsepower to 532. However, the price decrease is just as the horsepower decrease is significant, $54,000 in price decrease. Um, and we ask ourselves, does it make sense? What do you think, David? Does it make sense to you? Well, I think it makes more sense for Lamborghini to do to do something like that. Audi is a traditionally an all-wheel drive manufacturer. They they really put a lot of emphasis on their Quattro all-wheel drive system. So from that perspective, I don't know that it makes sense. That being said, if I was looking at buying an Audi R8, this is the one I would get. That's a significant price decrease, 25% price decrease. And I also think that the rear wheel drive one is going to be the most fun to drive. So it makes sense in some ways and it doesn't make sense in some other ways. Yeah, I fully agree. It would be my choice too. I mean, it's, it's got the sweet spot when it comes to horsepower, which is around that five to 600 horsepower that we've always talked about in previous horse uh, podcasts and it's a rear wheel drive. So if it comes in a manual transmission, it really is the perfect recipe, but you're right. It's, it's really against what people think of Audi. When you think of Audi, you, Audi and Quattro are, they go hand in hand. It's mainly why you buy an Audi is for the Quattro system. Um, so it's interesting that they decided to go this route, even though they have gone this route with the Lamborghini uh, Huracan, as well as with the Gallardo. Given that performance being real world drive, and especially with that price slash, uh, a lot of people may consider now an R8 that they may have not considered in the past just because of the, the decrease in price. Yeah, and I think those are actually really beautiful cars. I think that's one of the most handsome cars being made right now. So I, I think that's a pretty compelling choice. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about some electric cars. So, so Rivian has delivered their first electric delivery van. As far as I'm aware, this is the first serious heavy-duty electric delivery van in the world. Now, they have a contract with Amazon to make at least 100,000 of these delivery vans. Amazon is replacing their entire delivery van fleet with these electric Rivians. 
So this is, this is a pretty big deal. Now the, the vehicle itself, it looks a little bit funky. It ha it, it's big. It's going to have, have a lot of cargo space. It has a lot of advanced safety features. It has about a 200 mile real world range, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it looks like they're going to be making a lot of, a lot of these and that's going to allow Rivian to make a lot of other really cool vehicles, I think. Yeah, it really is Christmas for a small company like Rivian or Rivian uh, to get such a big order from Amazon because not only it allows them to stay in business, which is always the main thing, but like you said, it will allow them to hopefully do other interesting things um, like uh, the pickup truck. Speaking of the pickup truck, if I may real quick, just quick parentheses here. There is a new show in Apple TV called The Long Way Up, which is Ewan McGregor's He's an actor. He was Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars movies, not the original ones, but the ones from 20 years ago. He is a avid, avid uh, motorcyclist, and he's done a couple of really long trips, and he's documented them, the long way down and long way around. So this time he wanted to do one from South America, from Argentina, all the way up to LA, but they're doing it in electric bikes. And Rivian, um, has given them two pickup trucks as support vehicles for them. Um, and it's been, if you haven't seen the, the show, it's actually, I think, a really good show. It's very entertaining. Um, you, you do get to see the aspects of the challenges of having to charge these electric vehicles. But um, also you get to see some of the Rivian pickup trucks going on some off-road roads and seeing what challenges they have. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. I also wanted to kind of in this, electric vehicle category of news i wanted to talk about the corvette e-ray we've kind of had some speculation on that and it looks like we're getting some more solid news so what corvette is going to do is they're going to replace their grand sport trim which over the past couple generations has fit in between the z06 and the normal corvette they're going to replace that with this e-ray system uh, trim i should say which is going to basically be a hybrid. It's going to have a front, at least a front electric motor. We don't know if it's going to have a rear electric motor as well, although it doesn't, it doesn't look like it will. It'll have an eight kilowatt hour battery with 115 horsepower front motor. So combine that with the 490 horsepower internal combustion engine, and you're going to have a total output of around 600 horsepower. They say that it's going to, originally it was supposed to come out in 2021. We're not sure about that because of production delays due to COVID-19. So and uh, the last thing in the electric thing that we want to talk about is the Tesla Model Y, which is getting a third row option. Now, I got to say, I'm a big fan of third rows. We all know that. Yes. I think this is, uh, this is, pretty, this is pretty great news. Yes. And uh, not only we're both fans of third uh, row seating, but we're also a fan of third row seating if it's a jump seat. Because yes. we, we've seen this a lot in, of course, you know, when you think at least when I think about uh, jump seats and third rows, I immediately think of Mercedes station wagons. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I always thought it was one of the coolest things. We, we don't know yet, but we're uh, taking a guess here that because of the way the roof line is on the Model Y, that it slopes towards the end of the, the rear of the vehicle, the, the only logical way to be able to have a third row seat is by giving it jump seats. But that has not been confirmed. That's just our guess right now. Um, just to be clear, it is it is an option. It's not every Model Y that's getting that. The Honda Ridgeline has it's received an update for this year, which is 
actually, I think, a really interesting update because the, the Honda Ridgeline is the only unibody truck for sale in the United States. For the current generation, they went through a lot of engineering challenges in order to make the rear truck bed look like a normal truck bed while still being a unibody because the original, the first generation, it has kind of this sloping flying buttress shape that, that they needed to maintain the, the structural rigidity. And they went through a lot of design challenges in order to get rid of that so it would look more traditional. But then they just left the front of the truck the exact same as a Honda Pilot. Like it was, it was literally the exact same front end. And so yep. this update comes in and it changes some minor stuff, some minor styling stuff to make it look more like a truck which is which is really which is really interesting because the whole philosophy behind the Ridgeline is that it's not a normal truck and here they are making it look more like a normal truck. So I think that's an interesting update. Yeah, I mean the the Honda Ridgeline. I'm actually still surprised that they're that they're making it and that they're selling it because it's never been a well selling truck. Yeah, I was looking at the sales figures. They they're selling about thirty five thousand a year, which is I mean, it's nothing when you compare it to an F-150, but it's yeah. compared to most vehicles, that's, that's a, you know, it's not a high selling vehicle, but it's normal. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing too, I don't know what happens in your neck of the woods, but I never see them over here. Uh, where I live here in Utah, I, I mean, I see them every now and then, but it's definitely not a common vehicle at all. Um, and I see one maybe every couple of months on the freeway and that's about it. Um, but uh, I, I do see him. I do see him occasionally, but you're right. I don't see him very often. Yeah. But obviously this is a change that Honda wants to make to see if they can increase sales. Um, and we'll see if it pans out. Chevy Silverado HD, their heavy duty series, uh, three quarter ton and one ton trucks. They they're receiving a couple updates as well. Primarily this is in the towing tech. Ford has this really advanced towing electronic systems with the backup camera and they have all this you know fancy technology for that their chevy is trying to compete with them so they've released their own uh, suite of electronics for towing the more interesting thing for me at least is they're increasing the max towing this is primarily for the dually models the dual rear wheel models but it goes up only 500 pounds but it's now at 36,000 max towing pounds that is nuts i mean that is, that's totally crazy. I mean, for, for comparison, like a, a tractor trailer, a semi truck is usually pulling around 40,000 pounds. And here a, a one ton truck is getting within spitting distance of that. It's crazy. It does beg the question, at what point um, are you going to be required to have a CDL just to drive one of these things? Oh, you because, do. You do. I mean, the CDL is, so just, so just so you know, at least in North Carolina, where I am, a, a class B CDL is required when gross vehicle weight is 26,000 pounds. So assuming that the truck weighs around 8,000 pounds, which is my best guess, that's around 18,000 pounds towing. So we're almost 10,000 pounds above where you need a CDL. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, we spoke about this on our previous podcast on the F-150. Uh, also, with its maximum capacity of 14,000 pounds for an F-150. So numbers are getting big across the line. So onto a couple car culture things. So it looks like K&N, the famous maker of aftermarket air intakes, they have released a face mask. Now the interesting, I mean, everyone's selling face masks. Everyone needs face masks. So that's not really that noteworthy. 
the 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 thing that I really wanted to point out is Roden Track wrote an article about this, and they and the title of the of the article was "KNN Face Masks Add Five Horsepower to Your Face." And I, anyways, I just had to throw that in there because I thought that was too funny. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the nice thing about uh, these KNN face masks, just like their air filters, they are reusable. You can wash them, throw a little bit of oil, uh, get them nicely coated, and put them back on. No oil though, so. <laughs> No need to start you to uh, buy a reusable mask, a cheap mask over at AutoZone or O'Reilly Auto Parts. No, yeah. you just buy this K&N and reuse them. Yes. I, I wonder if you can get some stickers. Like if you get a K&N sticker and stick it on your face mask or maybe on your face somewhere, maybe that adds another five horsepower and you get a 10 horsepower bump. If this episode wasn't enough to satisfy your petrol head thirst, join us on Monday where we will go in-depth into Mercedes future electric model line how the Ferrari SF90 drives, and part two of our Super SUV series. That's it for this week's Limited Slip Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our insights into next week's automotive news. If you want to help us keep the content coming, leave a five-star review and visit our businesses at davethecarimporter.com where I help clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee or Borja's business on Facebook at Auto Pros Utah, a full-service auto repair shop. This is David and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. <laughs>